On today's story session, a tale about keeping your word and avoiding cannibals, because they are everywhere. This is Prince Swan. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how brutally dark and totally insane folk tales and fairy tales used to be, which in my opinion, just made them way better. So we're going through the original versions of Grimm's fairy tales, story by story. We'll figure out the intended lessons compared to the actual lessons of each story, and afterwards I'll adapt the tale into a movie or TV show. So let's get right to it with today's tale titled, Prince Swan. We begin. There was once a maiden all alone in the middle of a large forest. Why? They're not even going to explain why this girl is in the middle of the fucking forest or how she got there? All right. Suddenly, a swan came flying up to her. It had a ball of yarn and said, I'm not a swan. I'm an enchanted prince, and if you unravel the yarn to which I'm attached, then I'll be released from a spell. But take care that you don't break it in two, otherwise I won't be able to return to my kingdom and won't be saved. If you unravel the yarn, you'll become my bride. Okay, that's a, that's a lot of information right, right out of the gate. It happens in a shocking amount of these stories where a guy finds a random girl in the middle of the forest and they get married. But this one has an interesting twist in that the guy happens to be trapped in the form of a bird, so... That's fun. The maiden took the yarn, and the swan climbed into the sky. The maiden unraveled the yarn easily, and she unraveled and unraveled the entire day so that the end of the yarn could already be seen. Okay, weird way to say that. I guess she could see where the end was, is what that means. However, just then, it unfortunately became caught on a thorn bush and broke in two. Well, why is she going through thorn bushes? You got a whole damn forest to roam around. Just find a clearing and unravel it by walking around in circles. Think it through. Think it through, lady. We continue. The maiden was very distressed and wept. Yeah, but the swan was pretty distressed too. He's stuck as a bird now. Since it was turning night and the wind was blowing so loudly in the forest, she became afraid and began to run as fast as she could. She was probably running away because she didn't want the swan to realize she'd broken the the yarn and get mad at her. She's just bailing the hell out of there. But still, why the hell is she there to begin with? Where's she from? What's she doing? What are her goals? Does she have any goals or thoughts relating to her own journey and, and desires whatsoever? Never mentioned, which is an all too common trope in these old stories. The women's thoughts and ambitions never addressed. We continue. And as she was running, she saw a small light and rushed toward it. There she found a house and knocked on the door. A little old woman came out and was astounded to see a maiden standing before her door. Oh, my child, she said, where are you coming from so late in the night? Please, may I have a place to sleep for the night and also some food, she asked. I've lost my way in the forest. This is a difficult situation, the old woman replied. I'd gladly give you what you want, but my husband 
is a cannibal. Boom! This shit just took a hard turn, and I am here for it. Let's fucking go. If he finds you, he'll eat you. There's no mercy. But if you remain outside, the wild animals will eat you. So I'll see if I can help you get through this. <laughs> Damn, the stakes of this story just shot through the roof. At first she was just trying to marry this bird, but now she's facing the imminent threat of getting eaten by cannibals or wild animals. She should think for a minute, though, because if this old lady is married to a cannibal, she's probably not, like, super cool herself, right? If you love and marry a cannibal, you're kind of co-signing that person's behavior, that person's cannibalism. This maiden should just be like, I'll take my chances with the animals and just turn and run, climb up a tree or something. We continue. The old woman let her enter, gave her some food to eat, and then hid her beneath the bed. What was that food they gave her? The cannibal always came home before midnight, right after the sun had fully set. That's usually well before midnight, but in any event. And left before sunrise, so it wasn't long before he entered, and said, I smell, I smell human flesh. And he searched around the room until he reached under the bed and dragged the maiden out. Now this will make for a good snack. Alright, so the hiding plan was immediately ineffective. But the old woman pleaded and pleaded for the maiden's life until he promised to let her live overnight and to eat her for his breakfast. However, the old woman woke the maiden before sunrise. Hurry and get away before my husband awakes. Here's a golden spinning wheel for you as a gift you're to cherish. My name is Sun. Alright, thanks, I guess. Aren't spinning wheels pretty big? She's supposed to lug it around the forest? If the cannibal goes after her, he's gonna catch her because she'll be so slowed down by that giant big wheel she's dragging around. The maiden's just be like, look, thanks for helping me, but I'm fine. I just gotta go. I gotta move fast. We continue. The maiden went away, and in the evening she came to another house. And the same thing happened there that happened the previous night. <laughs> oh, the same thing? The same thing happened? Because that's a pretty specific circumstance and sequence of events. Cannibal husband with a nice wife hiding under the bed and getting found out immediately because the cannibal has a crazy sense of smell. The wife being like, eat her tomorrow morning instead. And then waking her up early because the cannibal is very organized and sticks to a rigid schedule, apparently. When the lady tried to hide her under the bed, you know the maiden was like, look, this bullshit isn't going to work. Oh, all right. Well, at her departure, the second old woman gave her a golden spindle and said, my name is Moon. On the third evening, she came to a third house where the old woman gave her a golden reel and said, my name is Star. Okay, they totally, I like how they totally gloss over at the third house. They don't even mention if there was a cannibal inside or not. That's just assumed, I guess. Everyone in this forest is cannibals. Clearly, they're trying to move the story along here. And she also informed her that even though the yarn hadn't been completely unraveled, enough had been unraveled so that Prince Swan had been able to reach his kingdom, where he was the king. In fact, he was already married and lived in great splendor 
on the glass mountain. What? For Okay, first off, how does this lady know about this shit with the yarn? It seemed like a pretty private thing. And apparently the rules that the prince said were bullshit. <laughs> what the fuck, prince? He said he was going to marry her. Was all that just a lie so that she'd do what he wanted and take it seriously? She'd take the, the yarn unrolling seriously? What an asshole. Not only did he not marry her, but he didn't even thank her or tell her he was okay. She saved his life and he abandoned her in the middle of a forest that is just chock full of cannibals. <laughs> Fuck this prince. And who's this new girl that he's already married to? It's been three days. So clearly he just had a girlfriend from before. Just totally lied and used this poor maiden he found in the forest and then screwed her over. What a dick. We continue. Then, she said, you'll reach the mountain this evening, but a dragon and a lion are lying in front protecting it. That's why you must take this bread and bacon to pacify them. And everything happened just as she said. The maiden threw the bread and bacon into the jaws of the monsters, and they let her pass. All right, that was pretty easy. Why did they even have that bit about the dragon and the lion in this story? It's totally unnecessary. That problem was brought up and resolved in like four sentences, and it made zero difference. When she came to the castle gate, however, the guards wouldn't let her enter. So she sat down in front of the gate and began to spin on her little golden wheel. The queen peered down from above and was pleased by the beautiful little wheel. So she went down and asked if she could have it. The maiden told her that she could have it if she could spend the night next to the king's bedroom. All right, that is a super suspicious request. <laughs> if you asked someone for something and then they're like, sure, if I can spend the night next to your wife, you'd be like, get the fuck out of here. What the hell is your problem? What's your end game? Don't be gross. But hey, all right, I guess this queen really wants this nice spinning wheel. You'd think a queen could attain something similar without endangering her husband, but I guess she doesn't really give a shit about him. We continue. The queen agreed, and the maiden was led upstairs to a room. Now everything that was spoken in this room could be heard in the king's bedroom. Okay, well that's pretty convenient. So when it was night, and the king was in his bed, the maiden sang, Doesn't King Swan still think of me, his faithful Julianne, his bride-to-be? She's come from afar, where she's seen all three, sun, moon, and star, and faced two beasts, won't King Swan now wake up at last? Her name is Julianne, I guess. That's news to the reader. Also, was she faithful? She says, you're faithful, his faithful Julianne. They met once, and she technically failed at the one task he assigned to her. I don't know if she's really faithful. And the faced two beasts thing? Okay, maybe don't brag about the two beasts, Julianne. That was a pretty smooth ordeal for you. Old lady number three completely took care of that problem for you. But the king didn't hear her because the cunning queen had been afraid of the maiden. Right, that was reasonable. And had given the king a sleeping potion. Huh. All right, so the queen is pretty clever here. Maybe a sleeping potion isn't the best plan if Julianne wanted to kill the king instead of just talk to him. It kind of makes him a sitting duck. If you just make him pass out, but hey, it worked out. 
So he slept soundly and didn't hear the maiden and all that she had revealed. In the morning, all her efforts had been lost, and the maiden had to return to the gate and sit down and spin with her second spindle, which also pleased the queen. (laughs) So the maiden gave it to her with the same condition that she would be allowed to spend the night next to the king's bedroom, where she sang once again, Doesn't King Swan think of me, his faithful Julianne, his bride-to-be? She's come from afar, where she's seen all three, sun, moon, and star, and faced two beasts. Won't King Swan now wake up at least? All right, try something different, Julianne. Don't just make the same deal and do the same shit. She's just going to get the same results. And yeah, this queen should be super suspicious of this lady. She's queen. Just take take this lady's textile equipment or whatever that you like and give her some money and be like, beat it. Or fucking kill her. I don't know. She can do whatever she wants. She's the queen. She doesn't have to make a deal on this random forest girl's terms. Anyway, but the king slept soundly due to the sleeping potion, and so the maiden lost her spindle. Why didn't she try, like, singing it in the morning? I don't know. On the third morning, she sat down with her golden reel and kept winding it. The queen wanted this precious object as well and promised the maiden that she could spend another night next to the king's bedroom. However, the maiden had discovered the queen's deception. How? How would she discover that? And asked the king's servant to give the king something else to drink that evening. Why would the king's servant listen to her instead of the queen? She's just some random lady. Maybe the servant didn't know what was going on and was just like, well, I don't know who this lady is, but she's been sleeping in the room next to the king three nights in a row. She must be important. Guess I'll just do what she wants. But what's going on with the king, though, that he's making no decisions about his nighttime beverages? (laughs) He just drinks whatever this servant brings to him? He's kind of a dumb guy, if that's the case. So Julianne, I guess, tells the servant, give him something else to drink, which is super vague and, again, super suspicious. But... The servant does. Then she began to sing. Doesn't King Swan still think of me? His faithful Julianne, his bride-to-be, she's come from afar, where she's seen all three, sun, moon, and star, and face two beasts. Won't King Swan now wake up at least? Well, the king woke when he heard her voice, and he recognized her and asked the queen, if someone loses a key and then finds it again, which key does one keep? The old or the new? The queen replied, Certainly the old one. Well then, he said, You can no longer be my wife. (laughs) I've found my first bride again. The next morning, the queen had to return to her father's realm, and the king married his true bride, and they lived happily together until they died. (laughs) The end. I like that they end on until they died. I guess that that you have to assume that to say they lived happily for the rest of their days. But no, I have to end on a sour note of until they died, as we all will eventually. (laughs) All right, what the fuck, guys? Okay, so first off, this king is a moron. He's got to get that out straight away. What the fuck was that question? If someone loses a key and then finds it again, which key does one keep, the old or the new? What a dumb question. I don't know, king. Have you already changed the locks? Because if you've changed the locks, then keep the new key, because the old one is worthless. If you haven't changed the locks, 
then keep both keys. And now you just have a spare key. You got a backup if you ever lose the first one again. What the fuck are you talking about, King? That is no way to make life decisions. Which key do you like better? I don't know. I know you've only had this new key for less than a week, but you only saw the old key once for like a minute in the forest before you lost it, so you probably don't have any familiarity or affection toward the old key. Do you like the new key? Maybe think about it a little more, King. (laughs) And why does the queen answer? Certainly the old one. She doesn't know what's going on. It makes no sense. In reality, she'd be like, hey, what the fuck are you talking about, man? She definitely wasn't expecting him to be like, well, my key question was a test, and now you can't be my wife. <laughs> she, should, she should return to her realm and declare war on this king and his new bride, and I would probably be rooting for her. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know. I don't know how I feel about this story. I mean, our main character, Julianne, they drop that name in halfway through, really, really in- attempting to be inconspicuous about it but she doesn't really do anything impressive she does actually help the swan that's nice or she tries to she fails but she tries to help then again it's not out of benevolence it's so she'll be queen so it's not necessarily noble and then she just stumbles through her cannibal run-ins and only escapes because apparently cannibals have super chill wives and after each run-in The wife is like, sorry, and gives her like a really valuable piece of like weaving or textile equipment. None of this is through any ingenuity of her own that she solves any any of these problems. Nobody does anything impressive, really. Actually, you know what? The queen is the only one who makes any sort of clever moves by doing the sleeping potion. I mean, she definitely didn't need to let this random weird girl who wants to sleep near her husband do that. So she's not a genius. But maybe that's a sign that she's actually like a respectful, honorable person. She wanted the wheel and the spindle and all that shit. And the weird girl said what she wanted in return. And the queen went ahead and honored her wish, even though she definitely didn't have to. She did the sleeping potion to try to make sure the girl didn't do anything fucked up, which is good. That's a good move. She's still putting her husband in a vulnerable position, admittedly. But if there are guards at, at the doors then this is the best way to make everyone happy. The girl gets to sleep in the room in the castle like she wanted, her husband gets a good night's sleep, and will be bothered by this weird girl, and she, the queen, gets her spindle and wheel. I don't know why she didn't just sleep in the room with the king. I guess they sleep in different beds. She could have just slept in, it's like, with the alongside the king, then she'd know exactly what's going on here. Because she doesn't know Julianne's motives, so she takes steps to protect her husband from being disturbed with the sleeping potion. The queen did nothing wrong here. She didn't take Julianne's man. The king could have found her if he wanted to. Could have found Julianne at any time. He got married immediately after getting back, after being transformed back from being a swan. He obviously didn't look for Julianne at all. So he probably genuinely liked the woman who was queen. And now this girl shows up and he's like, well, I'm a man of my word. So he leaves his wife and marries the girl he doesn't know at all. It's kind of sad, really. He should just be like, look, I'm sorry I didn't let you know I was okay. I lied to you. I know that and I'm sorry. Here's a house and a ton of money you'll never want for anything ever again. Enjoy your life. That's still a huge win for her. She started the story 
lost in the middle of the woods for unclear reasons. And she still would have ended up rich if that if that's what he did. And then she would have gotten to choose who she wanted to marry. She'd just been a cool rich lady living in the living in the kingdom. Because again, these two people don't even really know each other. She just helped him turn back into a human. That doesn't mean they should be together or even that they get along at all. Maybe they'll spend one day together and they'll be like, oh my god, I hate this person. The guy didn't have to say he'd marry her. He could have just said he'd give her a big reward. And she didn't have to accept the marriage. She could, she could have just been like, I don't know you, man. I'll just take cash. Thanks. See ya. It still, it still strikes me as weird that he told her, like, you can't break the, the unraveled yarn. You cannot break the unraveled yarn. It has to be perfect. And then she breaks it. She fucks it up. Flees into the woods. And then it turns out, hey, it, it was all right. It was fine. He, like, enough. She unraveled enough. Totally worked out. I didn't, I didn't think magic spells really worked like that. So usually kind of an all or nothing sort of deal. It's not like, ah, good enough. But hey, I guess whatever witch cursed him and put that spell on him was pretty pretty chill about the, about the particulars. All right, for lessons, I don't know. Maybe a lesson here is to honor your agreements because the king doesn't seem happy necessarily about leaving the queen. It's pure cold calculation on his part via key-based metaphors. There's zero emotion involved whatsoever. He's like, I made a deal. I gotta honor it. I won't renegotiate or see if she wants anything else instead. A deal is a deal. Can always renegotiate, of course. And the queen has a similar rigid view of deals. She makes the deals with the girl trading for the, the wheel and the spindle and the golden reel, and she lets the girl name her price. And then she honors that when she doesn't even really have to. <laughs> so maybe that's one of the messages here. A deal is a fucking deal. And yeah, that's a good lesson. But in this particular instance, I feel like there was a solution where everyone could have been happy. It's, it's not like Julianne and the king were in love. They didn't know each other at all. So I'm going to extrapolate that rigid lesson and turn it into a different one, which is don't be afraid to recalculate and find creative solutions after circumstances have changed. Sometimes you make a deal, and then the circumstances change. Other people get involved, like the queen here. If that's the case, and you want to change things up, go ahead, have the conversation, at least bring it up. If the other person's like, no, deal's a deal, then sure, yeah, honor that deal. But be reasonable, get creative. And another actual lesson, don't trust people who are suspiciously trying to get close to your partner. <laughs> Which leads me to another lesson. Question people's intentions. If someone is trying to do something weird, figure out why. This girl was trying to steal her husband, and it could have been even worse. What if she'd wanted to kill him somehow? He's a king. Could be any number of reasons. If she just wanted a night in the castle, sure, whatever. Have a fun night sleeping in the castle. But she specified that she wanted to be close to where the king sleeps? That's fucking weird. So yeah, question people's intentions. <laughs> the final lesson, don't necessarily judge someone by the company they keep. This one is about the cannibals, the cannibals and their wives. Because yeah, sometimes there's someone who has a partner or a friend who is a total asshole, but the original person is actually very sweet and nice. So yeah, it's a final lesson. Judge people on their own merits, not by the people around them. And the, the final, final lesson is everybody likes bread and bacon, even a dragon or a lion. Everybody. That shit is delicious. All right, let's adapt this thing. So this is going to be 
It's going to be a mini-series, like like six to ten hour-long episodes. And it's going to be... You know what? I like this one as more of a drama, really. Usually I like to stick to the funny stories, but this one feels like it wants to be a drama. The setting, post-apocalyptic. Humanity has been nearly completely wiped out. We've got a woman living alone in the wasteland. She's got a little farm. She hunts the occasional animal. And this woman will be played by... Jung Ho-yeon from Squid Game. She'd be, she'd be awesome here. She lives all alone and doesn't know of anyone else who's still alive, but she keeps a CB radio on just in case anyone is out there trying to contact people. And one day, of course, a mysterious voice comes over the CB radio. Ho-yeon runs over to it. The voice says that he is the ruler of a place called Glass Mountain, but he has been cursed with a mysterious disease, and his medicine woman said that only when the fountain of the cave is filled with water will he be cured. The voice has no idea what this means, or where the, the fountain of the cave is, so he's trying to reach out to whoever he can to try to accomplish this task for him. And he says that if Hoyan can do this, she will be rewarded with a place in his sanctuary at Glass Mountain. And Hoyan remembers a cave she'd seen with, with an odd fountain-like structure inside, so she fills two buckets of water and carries them high up a mountain to reach the cave. And when she pours the water into it, it activates... And it circulates the water in this dramatic ancient cave fountain in the water. It begins to glow, like a faint purple. And she's like, ooh, cool, magic. So she knows she succeeded. And she returns to the CB radio, and the man's voice is there. And he says that she succeeded, and he's been healed. And then she asks, okay, where's, where's Glass Mountain? So I can join you in the sanctuary. And the voice says, thank you for healing me. Goodbye. And that's it. And she asks again and again, screaming into the radio, but no voice responds. And she is once again alone. She's devastated. But after a day or so, she comes to a decision. She knows that if she stays put, then she'll likely just live out her days and die alone. But now, now she knows that there are more survivors out there in the world. So she packs up with her cool handmade bow and arrows and her hunting knives. And, and she leaves her cabin and heads out into the unknown to find Glass Mountain and claim her place there. Maybe maybe that's the end of the first episode, her venturing out away from the cabin with, you know, dramatic, cool music playing. So Hoyan travels for a while, and it's getting dark. And let's say in this post-apocalypse, there's, like, crazy mutated monsters, like super mutated bears and wolves and shit. And at night, these animals come out, and they hunt each other like crazy. So at night, she climbs trees, and she sleeps there. But one night, a crazy mutated mountain lion attacks her in the tree, and she has to flee, and she sees a light up ahead. And the door opens, and there's a pair of children standing in the doorway, and they're waving her toward them, and they're waving her toward them. She gets inside, and they slam the door shut, and then they're safe. And they hear the mountain lion outside, but it can't get in. And Hoyan is stunned, because these, these are the first people she's seen in years. And they give her food, and, and she tells them she's trying to find a place called Glass Mountain. And they say, yeah, they've heard of it, but it's a myth. No one's ever, they don't know anyone who's ever been there or ever, ever seen it. And then they tell her that they need to hide her quickly because their father will be home soon and will kill her because he sees everyone and everything as a threat. And they can still hear the mutant mountain lion growling around outside, and suddenly they hear the, the mountain lion roar, and then they hear it whimpering like it's wounded, and then they hear like a gruesome ripping sound, and the kids just look at her and they say, He's home. And Hoyan looks around and sees the bones and skins of, of the mutant animal monsters, and she's like, holy shit, these kids' dad is a crazy psycho, but also a total badass. I should be worried. And the kids rush her behind like a false wall, where the kids keep the toys they make for themselves that their dad thinks are silly and would destroy if he saw them. And dad gets back, 
and he drags the body of the mutant mountain lion in behind behind him like with one hand and he'll be played by like jason momoa just looking all gnarly and crazy and he butchers the mountain lion right there but as he's partway through he smells something and he's like what's that smell and he finds her in the wall and the kids are like please don't hurt her and just momoa is like She'll just take what's ours and kill us. Everyone in the world is dead. Anyone left just just wants to take what's ours and kill us. Survival is all that matters. But the kids are like, she can live with us. We, We know how much you miss mom. And then this stops his rage. And he's like, oh, he looks off into the middle distance. And he gets emotional. But he eventually relents and allows her to stay. And she sees that... All right, this guy's not crazy. He's he's just super, super hurt and super traumatized from like the pain of, of losing so much. And so Huyan, she has no choice but to stay. But in her mind, she's like, I cannot stay here. What am I going to do? And in the middle of the night, one of the kids wakes her up and is like, you should leave. I, I'd love you to stay, but I know you have a mission to find Glass Mountain. You should go. And little girl gives her a small figure she made from clay. And so Huyan sneaks out and sets out again. And I'm going to breeze through the next bits. Like on her journey, she's she crosses paths with a couple more groups. Let's say one is a group of cannibals. Stick to the source material. And they lure her in, but she realizes what they are. And then she escapes and kills one of them. And maybe a few of them go after her to get revenge. And so now she's being chased and is even more desperate to find this sanctuary. And then she finds a house where a group of women all make, all make little machines and crafts and textiles and things. And they trade with the people of Glass Mountain, but aren't allowed inside. But they can tell her where it is. So she goes to see that it's basically a mountain covered in ice. And that's why they call it Glass Mountain. And per the lady's instructions, she knows where to find the secret entrance. And they see her, and she says who she is, but they don't believe her. And are about to send her away when one of them, a woman who seems important, she sees her bow, which is modified and cool looking, and she asks for it. And this woman will be played by Tanduay Newton. And Hoyan says she'll give it to her if she can meet the man who was recently healed from this, his cursed disease. And the woman's like, oh, she knows something. And she agrees to this. And so she meets the leader who, say it's played by like Donald Glover. And he's very personable, but in a sort of like creepy cult leader kind of way. But he's very nice, and he thanks her for healing him. And he says that she can now stay here. And her finding Glass Mountain was like the final test. And now that she's done it, she can stay. And he orders his people to set her up with a room in their elaborate compound of tunnels within this mountain. And she asks why he didn't respond. But he says he didn't think she could survive the journey. And he'd only be leading her to her death, which of course he didn't want to do. But now that she's done it, great, you can stay. So she's like, okay, I guess that checks out. And they set her up with a room. But she also gets a weird vibe and also kind of gets the sense from... Donald Glover's interactions with people that they they might they really do fear him and he might not be the benevolent leader that he portrays himself as. So she stays awake that night and sure enough, someone slips into her room to try to kill her, but she gets the drop on him and kills him and she's like, fuck this. So she sneaks through the compound and hides out for the night, like in the, the recesses of this cave, like a duct system, whatever. And the next day, she tries to escape, but she's caught and brought to Donald Glover in what is essentially like his throne room all the ice around him and he orders her death but she slips the hold of her guards he grabs grabs a small knife that's hidden strapped under her clothes and she throws it and it lands straight in donald glover's heart and he falls down dead and there's a commotion but tendiway newton yells to stop and she says that hoyan killed their leader yes but she was wronged by him and he tried to kill her first and beyond that 
Hoyan freed them from Donald Glover's iron-fisted rule, and so Tandue becomes their new leader with Hoyan at her side because Hoyan has been surviving on her own for so long and knows a bunch of stuff and can design cool weapons and shit. And Hoyan also convinces them to invite in the women who make the machines. And finally, we see Hoyan return to the house with the two children and Jason Momoa to invite them to all live together in peaceful and protected harmony in the mountain and make it a big, thriving community where people aren't just trying to take from each other and hoard their resources for themselves, but instead they, they share and they grow together and they all live happily ever after. The end. All right, that was a pretty long one, but I liked it. As I was coming up with that, I got into it a little more. I, I totally see that show. It's got, like, HBO epic all over it. Give that one ten episodes. There's, like, mysterious magic on the periphery with, like, the curses and the mutated monsters and stuff, but it's still mostly about humans and human emotion and loss and coming together and selfishness and greed, all these sorts of things. So there we go. And that will do it for this week's story session. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Come on back next week for a story titled The Golden Egg. Okay, so that, this one's not explicitly about a bird, but it is about an egg. So we'll have to see if it just ends up being about a bird. In which case, that'd be four stories in a row with birds as a central plot element. Come back next week for the Golden Egg. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. <laughs>